Our scripture today comes from the New Testament book of Acts. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. And Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Connor, and thanks, choir, for beautiful, beautiful music. Friends, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I wanted to share something about something that was on campus this past Wednesday. Our Let's Talk group gathered to talk about the Constitution of the United States of America. And uh, our own James Shepard led the discussion and made sure to let everybody know through announcements and so forth prior that we had homework before Let's Talk, and it was to read the Constitution, (laughs) to read it. Uh, I don't think I'd read it probably since ninth or 10th grade all the way through. So Adair, Tuesday night, Adair and I did our homework. We spent two hours reading the Constitution aloud to one another, which is something I don't think we ever envisioned in our second year of marriage. (laughs) And in class, James, he did a really good job of sharing why he thought this document was so incredible and so different. And he asked us questions about what we read. He shared different understandings of how to read the Constitution. He helped us read the many things that are said in the Constitution, but then pointed out that there are many things that aren't said in the Constitution. But ultimately, he challenged us at the end of the class with an interesting takeaway. This is what he said. He said, if somebody ever says to you, in casual or heated discussion, that's not constitutional, don't get defensive. He said, be curious and ask, why? How? Or is that true? Or why do you think that? After all, he said, curiosity is a greater friend to understanding. Don't get defensive. Don't be scared. Be curious. I had a, uh, a firsthand journey yes, yesterday in curiosity. Adair's sister and brother-in-law, as well as their four and almost two-year-old, were at our house all weekend. Um, and I watched as Mac, the almost two-year-old, unplugged everything we have uh, from the wall and just looked at it as if it were going to look like a different plug. He was just curious. <laughs> And then he would proceed to try and stick it in his mouth. And then we said, no, please don't, Mac. Uh, What a vision of the future. It made me think about, but it made me think, curiosity, made me think about what we do here. About every Sunday, we gather here in worship with music and creeds and prayers. We come with all our concerns and hopes and dreams and needs and desires, all of us. And every Sunday, we sit here with all of that and with a piece of Scripture 
and a simple curiosity to ask, what might God do today? (laughs) How is this speaking to us now? What is God trying to teach you and trying to teach me through this passage, through this music, through prayer, through, through communion today in August of 2022? And it seems to me like we would have trouble being a part of worship without being a little bit curious, without curiosity. And lucky for us, that seems to me to be what our passage is all about today. Curiosity, a longing to understand, an eagerness to learn. In fact, I'd argue that curiosity is a main theme of the entire book of Acts. Now, if you haven't ever heard this before, Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Both written by the same author, it's the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, which carries its own baggage because sequels are notorious for being horrible. <laughs> we know this just from being moviegoers lately. In the, I mean, in the millions of sequels we've seen that have been produced, there are only four good ones. <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back, Godfather Part Two, Toy Story 2, and of course Top Gun Maverick, which might be actually the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> And probably one of the things bringing America together right now. But seriously, the only sequels that are ever compelling are the ones that find a way to expand on the first story into new territory, new action, new characters. And that's what we get with the book of Acts. A good sequel with a new kind of story and a new lead character. Oh, and by the way, the the action in the book of Acts never really stops Luke doesn't waste any time. I've always considered Acts to be like the Christian odyssey. It just goes and it never stops. And in chapters 1 and 2, we see Jesus ascend to heaven. The disciples throw lots for a new disciple to replace Judas. And then on the day of the Pentecost, with wind and fire, the Holy Spirit, who I'd argue is the main character of the book, comes down and sends them out. And by the end of the chapter, that's just in the first two, by the end of the chapter... Peter's preached his first sermon, and the apostles have started organizing a new community where they share in communion and teaching, and they share all things together. And anyone having read Luke is at this point, just after two chapters of Acts, thinking this is not like the last book. This is wild, definitely not your usual sequel. And the next thing you know, Peter and John are on their way to the temple, like the good Jews that they've always been. It's three in the afternoon, so it's time for the second daily burnt offering. And there's a man right over here who's been lame from birth, and he's been laid at the gate of the temple, the beautiful gate of the temple, to ask for money. And notice he wasn't going in. He was at the gate. And because of ancient understandings and purity laws, it's possible that he wasn't even allowed to enter the inner courts. Ancient Israel put a great value on wholeness, and on a complete and ordered world, which meant that physical defects, even an injured hand or foot, it's right there in Leviticus, were shameful in certain ways to the ancient culture. This is also what made Jesus so radical. I don't know if you remember this, in Luke 14, he says to the disciples that they should be prepared to enter the kingdom lame rather than whole. Jesus declares that the lame are fit for the kingdom of heaven. He's rethinking some things, reversing some attitudes. And so this lame man sitting over here is sitting where he can, maybe where he always sits every single day to beg for help. And Luke says that seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he says to them, I need help, I need money. I don't think he's singling them out 
It seems like Peter and John are going into the temple just like anybody else. They're just two more people passing by. They'll probably ignore him just like everybody else, I imagine. And you can almost see it, people shuffling through a gate, trying not to acknowledge him, because if I acknowledge that guy, then maybe his problems might become mine, and I don't have time for that. I've got too much going on. I've got to get to the temple to sacrifice, to pray, and then go home. I've got to run some errands. I've got to fix a ceiling fan. I've got to pick the kids up from practice. Nobody has time for that right now. So nobody makes eye contact, ever. And this man in need sees John and Peter, and he expects, I imagine, the same response, but he still calls out, please, please help me. And they hear the man, and Luke says, Peter directs his gaze at him. Peter says to him, look at us. And the man looks back at them. And probably for the first time that day, maybe that week, someone is looking at him in his eyes. I saw a quote recently that went something like this, worlds change when eyes meet. Susan Young, author of The Art of Body Language, says this about eye contact. Meaningful eye contact has the power to transcend time and space to connect us with others and can be one of the most gracious and important ways to demonstrate attention and respect. One of the most gracious ways, making eye contact. Peter directs his gaze at him, and the man looks back. And Peter's Peter's honest. We don't have anything. We don't have gold or silver. But we can give you something. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And Peter grabs him by the hand and helps him up. The man's feet are made strong. He leaps into the air. He goes into the temple with him, a place he was previously too broken to enter, And everyone who has previously avoided this man now sees him, mobile, walking and jumping and praising God. And this magnificent miracle, this wondrous work of God, all starts in one simple gesture, in eye contact. Peter directs his gaze at him. He gives this man who no one cared for, Peter gives him his attention, his eye contact. Now, you know what I think? I'm glad you asked. I think that Peter and John started out this day like any other day. I don't think they got up that morning thinking, today's the day we're going to heal that guy. I, don't think, I think they started out their day with the goal of hitting their 3 p.m. tea time at the temple, and that was it. And then on the way up, you can imagine Peter starts hearing that voice as they're walking through toward the gate. He starts hearing a voice. It's the same voice over and over again. Help me, help me. I need money. Help me. I need alms. And they get closer and closer. And I imagine on the way up, Peter starts to wonder about the voice. Who is it? What's wrong? What's his name? I wonder where he's from. And just as they're about to pass by, they turn their eyes from the temple up ahead to the man on the street for no other reason than they were curious, I imagine. And just being curious leads to some eye contact to attention, to conversation, and to a miracle. And it's always amazing to me what a little curiosity can do. I love that famous Walt Disney quote who said, we keep moving forward, opening new doors, doing new things because we're curious, and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. 
And indeed, curiosity leads Peter and John into this new path and to many other. Over and over in the book of Acts, the apostles go and follow and do amazing things, new things, all because they're empowered by a spirit who makes them curious to seek a little bit of understanding. That could be the subtitle of this book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, all because of a little bit of curiosity. <laughs> I was thinking yesterday, do you, just think about it. Peter and John might have, have had nothing to do with Jesus. If on that day long ago when that strange traveling rabbi came up to them on the beach where they were fishing, called out to them, come and follow me, they might have nothing to do with Jesus if they hadn't been a little curious about what life might be like if they said yes. Friends, I believe there is a holiness to curiosity, to imagination. It, it creates a what-if sense. And human beings, we tend to want to dissect and arrange life in ways that we can control. But curiosity is this holy questioning that perhaps leads to an epiphany without control. Curiosity leads us to wonder, what if? What if I listen to that still, small voice of the Spirit leading me to new and exciting places? What if I listen to and make eye contact with the needy stranger? What if I drop my nets and follow this rabbi who is calling me to follow now? Of course, a lack of curiosity leads us to kind of a status quo that contributes to a very me-based, self-based way of looking at things, but a holy curiosity looks outside of the world and sees what could be. That's the old prophet's Curiosity sees a valley of dry bones and wonders if they might ever come back to life. Curiosity looks at a divided people and imagines them all to be streaming to the mountain of God one day. Curiosity looks at fearfulness and anxiety and turns it into wonder and an interest in what could be. I don't know if you know this, but curiosity is at the very foundation and beginnings of the Methodist movement. Our first annual conferences were literally Q&A sessions. <laughs> a bunch of people sitting around a table asking questions about process and theology and God and works and mercy, all of it an engagement of curiosity from a desire to learn and to understand. Our book of discipline in our theological task says this, though we experience the wonder of God's grace at work with us and among us, and though we know the joy of present signs of God's kingdom, each new step makes us more aware of the ultimate mystery of God from which arises a heart of wonder and an attitude of humility. <laughs> Sounds a lot like curiosity curiosity to me, and it's in our DNA. It's part, some of the confirmands from last year remember this, it's part of our doctrine called provenient grace that says God loves us before we even know it, and that says God is at work everywhere before we get there. <laughs> And that God is inviting us to participate so long as we're curious enough to explore and to join in what God is doing right now. Philip Yancey, there's a phrase used by the apostles, by Peter and Paul, that has become one of his favorites. He says this, it's the phrase we are to administer or dispense God's grace. And perhaps the greatest grace that we can offer at least at the beginning, is not a judgment or an assumption of one another, but a simple engagement of our own curiosity. That's actually where grace begins, I think. Curiosity seems like the right kind of soil if grace is going to grow. 
We've got one more thing, and then we'll come to the table. Uh, Adair and I, a couple weeks ago, watched one of the best movies I've seen in a while. Uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's called The Rescue. And it's actually just been made into a, another movie uh, called 13 Lives. And, and you'll probably remember this. The Rescue tells the story of 12 boys and their coach who got tra- trapped in a cave in northern Thailand in 2018 when it began to rain and the caving system flooded and they couldn't get out. And the film documents the 17 days that they spent in there. 17 days it took to get them out. And everybody is there. Like countries sent different military people there. The Royal Thai Navy SEALs are there, U.S. Air Force Special Tactics, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers trying to redirect the rainwater, trying to reroute rivers. And the documentary takes you on this journey, and then out of nowhere it introduces you to the heroes that end up saving these kids. And it's not the SEALs. It's not the special ops guys. The Thai government brings in a handful of guys whose weekend hobby is cave diving. It's not even for their day jobs. The Thai government flies these guys in who have no particular expertise in anything but exploration and wonder and curiosity. They're not afraid to wonder what if, and they just happen to do their best curiosity work in underwater caves. And they don't know when to quit, but they do know how to ask questions. And because of them and their weekend hobby, the 13 lives trapped in those caves are saved by a bunch of guys who just happen to know how to engage curiosity. Curiosity seems the right kind of soil for the impossible for the improbable, for God, and for grace. Friends, over the next few weeks, we're going to spend time in this book of Acts, this book of curiosity, which at its core is a story about a group of people who don't know when to quit, about a spirit who empowers them to ask questions and to seek God, and who are genuinely curious about where God is going to take them. And friends, the same spirit that moved Peter and John to continue a movement In the face of naysayers, that same spirit that moved them to be curious about a man sitting at the gate, the same spirit that caused them to pay attention to the work of God around them, that same grace they shared that grew in the soil of simple generosity, curiosity. That same spirit is in you and in me. And in a moment, we're going to come to the table. And friends, when we do so today, I invite you to come to the table with curious and expectant hearts and ask God, God, what are you going to do today? What's going to happen today? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.